Hello and welcome along to the Property Academy podcast by Opus Partners. I'm your host, Henry Knight. And I'm Andrew Nicholl. And to the show, we're talking about the seven things accountants are just plain wrong about. Now, here's the thing. When you invest in property, you need an accountant. And some are excellent. They specialize in property and they really understand the industry. But some are a little bit more generalized, a little bit more run of the mill. And sometimes when they aren't specialists in property, they tend to give advice that is just plain wrong. And so we want to be really upfront and tell you those seven things that accountants often do get wrong. It's well-meaning, but it's often plain wrong advice. Now, Andrew, what's number one? Number one is the biggest thing that they do wrong, in my opinion, which is give financial advice. Now, financial advice is when you say to someone, you know what you should do with your money? You should do this. And when you're specifically telling someone what they should do with their finances or their money, that's personalized financial advice. And if you want to do that correctly, you've got to be a financial advisor. Well, if you want to do that at all legally, you've got to be a financial advisor. Well, there is an exception under the Financial Advisors Act, which allows accountants some wiggle room. But it's a loophole. It's a loophole. And I kind of think that you've got to stick within your lane. A lawyer should give the legal advice. The accounting should give the accounting advice. Financial advisor should give financial advice. And you might be able to get some kind of general advice from them, like if you went to your GP. But again, when you're making these big, important financial decisions, financial advisor. And I'll give you a good example of that. And that's often the second thing they get playing wrong is when they look at a property and say, that's a bad investment or it doesn't stack up financially. And what they often mean by that is a property isn't cash flow positive. Because if you think about a more run-of-the-mill accountant, what are they doing? They're looking at the cash flow of businesses. And so in, in a lot of accountants' minds, if a property isn't cash flow positive, oh, the numbers don't stack up. But what you've got to think about is that today, most investment properties, in fact, according to Velocity, 90% of investment properties bought today, while interest rates are high, are cash flow negative. And so what an accountant might say is the cash flow is negative, you should invest in shares instead. And what that does, firstly, is it ignores the impact of leverage, because let's say you're going to take the 200 bucks a week that you would have put into an investment property, you instead put it into shares. Well, if you're putting it into shares, you might get an 8% return on 200 bucks a week, or a 5% return on property of an asset that's $500,000. Well, that 5% on $500,000 is often going to beat your 8% return on 200 bucks a week. And the second thing that I think a lot of accountants ignore is the fact that most investors don't have a lot of cash to invest. So, yep, if you had $500,000 and put it into shares, that would give you a better return than $500,000 in unleveraged property if you have no debt. But most people don't have $500,000 to invest. And so in order to close your wealth gap, in order to prepare for retirement, most investors need leverage. You've got to take some amount of calculated risk in order to get enough wealth for retirement. And because accountants are really good at modeling cash flow, because accountants are really good at running the taxes for businesses, they sometimes miss that wider financial picture when they step outside of their lane. Number three is it's a bad investment, but they don't give you a solution. So it is really easy to criticize something. And if someone's telling you that investing in property for your retirement's a bad idea, but they don't give you an alternative, then that's a problem for me. And I find it really frustrating. I remember when I was way before the days of Opus, just when I was a mortgage broker, and I remember a lawyer in Kayapoi giving some clients of mine some advice on a property that they wanted to buy and said, no, that's, that's a bad investment. Now, 
that guy was about 100 years old. So he was going to be dead by the time these people were in retirement. So he wasn't going to be there to support them. So unless you're going to say, this is a better alternative, I've got something else that's a good investment for you, which again, if you listen to your lawyer about that, it's probably not a good idea or your accountant. I just kind of don't take that. I don't like people saying that's a bad idea without having another option. And I think the main thing is that, and this happens with a lot of different advisors, if you go to an accountant, you know, you might talk to them about your property and in five minutes, what you're trying to do with your wealth gap, if that. And so they'll be giving you advice and telling you what to do based on that five minute conversation. But if you've actually spent a couple of hours researching property, thinking about your wealth gap, building a financial plan, then actually you might be better informed about what you're trying to do than your advisor is in that situation. I think the fourth thing that accountants, and we're talking most often here about non-property specialist accountants, right? So generalist accountants, they'll often look at a property and say the yield is too low. And you often need to dig into that because sometimes when they say yield, they'll mean cash flow. So do you mean cash flow or do you mean yield? And if we're talking specifically about yield, they might compare it to their own portfolios. And sometimes what accountants will do is the same thing that a lot of property investors do. They calculate the yield based on what they purchased the property for. But if they purchased a property themselves 20 years ago, when the value's gone up and the rent's gone up, they might think their current property has a really good yield. Or they might be comparing the property that you're looking at buying to a property that they've owned for 10 years. Well, the numbers on it's going to be completely different because over time the rent goes up and over time the property value goes up. So properties after you've been in the market for a long time tend to look significantly better than properties that you buy with 100% debt today. And so I think sometimes non-specialist property accountants tend to overlook the fact. So we'll say, hey, look, that's a really low yield property, but they've actually got no idea about what a good yield ends up being today in today's market. Number five is you own a business, so why don't you buy the commercial property that you're based in? And I have had this quite a bit recently, so I'll be dealing with someone who's a mechanic, right? And they lease a building at the moment, a commercial premises, and their accountant says to them, well, you know, you're paying 100 grand a year in lease, why don't you just buy the building? Now, just thinking about this one particular person that I was dealing with, when we actually ran the numbers, the cash flow was going to be much, much worse because they were going to have to amortize and pay back the loan in a relatively short period of time. But then I asked him some other questions about, you know, his financial future. So things like, well, are you going to have this business for forever? No, actually, I think I'll probably sell it at some stage. Great. Can you sell it for someone that will just come in and take over? And he said, well, no, probably not in his case. He'll probably end up taking some of his clients to a new premises, a lifestyle block that he wants to live in. Okay, well, you're not going to need that building in five years' time then. Oh, yeah, but it feels good to have an asset. Yeah, okay, but you're tying yourself into this asset. Or similarly, the office in Christchurch that we're based in, the owner of that came to me the other day and said, would you like to buy this building? Oh, did he? I yeah. didn't know that. I did not tell you this. No. Well, I said no, so I guess that's why I didn't tell you. Well, I'd love a bigger video studio. I'd kick the front tenant out. Yes, but then, of course, then we lose the income off it. We've got to try and make that up by paying it ourselves. But here's the other thing. We're a growing company. In five years' time, this might not be the right building for us. So what do we do then? I think the other thing is we often say to people, you need assets outside of your own home. That's one, because you can't eat your own house. You're always going to need somewhere to live. But the second one is really about risk. So is it better to have a $2 million owner-occupier home, or is it better to have a $1 million owner-occupier home and a $1 million investment? Well it's probably going to be less risky if you've got two separate properties for a number of reasons. You can diversify the locations and all of that. 
The one thing I think about is if you are a business owner, and let's say we purchase this building that we're currently recording in, we have now doubled down our risk from ourselves because what happens if our company goes bad? Well, not only are we losing revenue in this, but now the commercial property we own has got a bad tenant, which is in financial disarray. And so you're really multiplying your risk if you're purchasing the commercial property that your business is also in. So I can understand why an accountant would say, oh, well, it's going to be great because we're going to lower our costs within the business. And of course, that's what they're trying to do. But actually, from a financial planning standpoint for you, the business owner, you may want to diversify that risk a little more. One terrible piece of advice, this is number six that I remember April from our mortgage team told me about, is quit your job and start your own business. Oh, I remember this one. So what happened was there was a, a couple and they'd purchased a off-the-plans property. They were under contract, unconditional, and they had a year to settle this property. They went to their accountant and the accountant said to the, the young lady, well, why don't you quit your job as a hairdresser and, and go out contracting because then you'll make more money. And this is a really good example of when especially non-specialist accountants step outside of the lane. Now, what was the issue with that? Because she did it and she did start earning more money. That was true. But what was the issue? Because she now owned a business, the bank would not accept that income. It wasn't provable income. Okay, so when they then wanted to get the mortgage for this off-the-plans property, even though they had a pre-approval, the bank said, no, we can't honour that pre-approval. Well, why can't you? Well, because you've had a material change in circumstances. You no longer have a locked-in salary. You've now got a variable income because you're a business owner. We talked about the troubles of getting a loan recently if you're a freelancer, if you're a contractor, or if you're a small business owner. And the issue then is they were at real risk of losing their deposit. They could have lost up to $100,000, that 10% deposit they put down on the off-the-plans property, because they could no longer get the mortgage. And so that's the risk when somebody steps outside their lane and says, oh, you should just do this, just go start your business, you'll make more money. But they didn't see the technical issues of what happens when you do that, which is you potentially lose your deposit because you can't get the mortgage. So really, really important, bad stuff goes wrong when people know a little about something, but enough to be dangerous. Number seven is it's not a good area or buy a standalone property rather than townhouses. They go up faster. And look, before Eddie, I was guilty too of making those comments like buy a house because it's got more land, it goes up faster. You but, know I hate being called Eddie. Yeah, I know. That's why I do it. And then he- Andy Nitchell. Digby. Oh, I'm never introducing you to my mum again. <laughs> Ellie, you listen to the show, and you and Andrew are never going to be in the same room because you tell them all my stories. Eddie Digby McKnight. And Just to clarify, that's not my middle name. No, no, no. It was the cat's name. But that was your nickname, wasn't it? No, what happened was, it's quite a good story just before we, we can get break up it. this crazy rant on, uh, on accountants. Yeah. So well, I've got three siblings, Sam, William, and Emily. And then we had a cat called Digby. And you know when you've got you know multiple kids and, and you forget which one's which? Anyway, so my mum's round to get me one day. He goes, Samuel, William, Emily, Digby. Oh, no, Edward. <laughs> you know, she put the cat in first. Mm. Anyway, very disappointing. So what's number seven? So remember, it's, it's giving some opinions based on theories rather than actual data. So we've done the research. Houses and townhouses pretty much go up at the same value. The area one's a big one for me. Accountants, you know, say you had an accountant that lived in the Hawke's Bay right now. He might be thinking, oh, well, there's been some good growth here over the last few years. Great place to invest. Don't go buying in Auckland, buy in Hawke's Bay because we've had all this growth. 
Yep. Why investigate Auckland when the gross yields are lower? Reason being because house prices are higher. So you should just buy in the Hawke's Bay. And this is where you need to use a specialist that makes data-driven decisions, like a financial advisor. And I think this does come back to where property professionals need to remember what they're good at. And sometimes we know just enough about someone else's job to be dangerous and end up giving bad advice. So sometimes we've got to be really careful when we're talking about trust versus look-through companies versus companies because then accountants will email and say, well, you got something slightly wrong there and Mm. actually that would change the advice. Now, I think we're specifically talking here about business accountants because a lot of the property accountants we deal with are actually fantastic. And the really good thing about most property accountants is even if they have a passive strategy, they'll still give you really good accounting advice about maybe a more active strategy like flipping or the burr. Similarly, you might have a really active investor like Gilligan Rowe, Matt Gilligan from Gilligan Rowe Associates, right? Really good property accountant. He will still give good advice for people who want a passive strategy, perhaps focused on new builds. And it's because if you're in the property investment industry, you really understand that there are a range of strategies and the right one is the one that works for the person who wants to do it based on how much time and how much money they've got. And actually, there's one more that I know that people often bring up, especially business accountants as opposed to property accountants. Yeah, no, exactly what you're going to say. It's the depreciation argument. So you hear an accountant say, or an investor might say, oh, my accountant said that you can't claim depreciation anymore, which is somewhat true apart from the chattels. So remember, you used to be able to claim depreciation on the building itself, the house itself. You can't anymore. It's just the chattels. But because that change was so widely publicized, that got in people's heads. And of course, then your accountants that don't specialize in property forget about the chattel component, which was the main part of depreciation anyway. Yeah, and a 50 grand's worth of chattels could save you $16,000 worth of tax. Way bigger impact than your 3% you got on the building per year. That potentially you'd have to pay back because of depreciation recovered. So without getting too technical, Andrew, what sort of questions can we ask our accountants to kind of test their advice if we're interviewing one? I would be asking if they are a property investor themselves. That's probably my number one thing I want to know. And then I'd also want to know what they invest in. I think the other thing is, because what we're making sure is that they invest themselves so that they understand it and also testing that strategy I think the other thing investors can also remember is, let's say you've got a business, you're a small business owner, you don't need to use the same accountant for your business as you do for properties. You can separate that out, and sometimes that will be the right move as well. Now, if you are looking for a specialist property accountant, remember, we've got a review on our website with the top five property accountants in the country, currently Momentum Property, GRA, I think we've got Withers Sang on there next year, and I can't remember, oh, someone's going to be angry because I can't remember. Peter Taylor. Peter Taylor. Oh, Oh, I love Peter Taylor. BDS accountants. So if you want to check that out, we'll link that down in the show notes. Tap or swipe over the cover art, you'll find it in there. listening to the Property Academy podcast. I'm your host, Cedric Knight. And I'm Andrew Nicholl. We're going to be back here tomorrow with even more daily strategies, tactics and insights to help you get the most out of the New Zealand property market. Until next time.